0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And hey, there's no more nutty sports market in the country than Houston. Let's see the Rockets. They make a trade for a guy who was pushed out because he threw French fries at his GM. The Astros played reunited and it feels so good. And it's another week of as the Texans turns. Joining me as my co-host and regular sidekick, fellow H-Town sports junkie and longtime journalist, Stephen Curran. Stephen, I got to say I'm not a fan of my weekly appointment with Adam Schefter where he tells me how Deshaun feels. It's like going to the psychiatrist every week and finding out how much more your son hates living with you because his dad is such an idiot. I wanted to, I went out of this bad marriage with Dad Cal. Yeah,
1: I think many of us do, Cal and Easterby. You've, you've got both parents that are just difficult to live with. Yeah, I have to absolutely agree with you, Robert. And I think I pointed out on our last podcast just how tired I am of this whole Texan soap opera. When will it end? I mean, if it were a soap opera, at least the TV ratings would probably be pretty good. But eventually, especially if you're a Texans fan, it just gets more and more tiring. And, you know, every day there's some new report about Deshaun Watson wanting to be traded. I think over the weekend, ESPN, you know, talking about. He wants out regardless of who the head coach is. And you don't know what to believe and what not to believe. But as, as the old overused cliche goes, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's obviously something there. But I just think it's it's incumbent on the Texans to get this right at least. You know, Solve it with Deshaun. Do whatever you have to do. But you know what? If you can't, you can't. But it's mostly going to be the
0: Texans' fault if you can't. You know, things are bad when the mayor of your city puts out two Deshaun tweets in the same day. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's that's true. Sylvester
1: Turner is even tweeting about it. So, yeah, when your politicians get in on it, especially when you have other, you know, probably more pressing things going on in a city,
0: yeah, that's not a good thing. So, yeah, if you missed it, he said, uh, Houston loves Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Houston is a great city that is hungry to back our players and team as a mayor of a city that is second to none, I pray we move forward together. He said pray, so that was real smart of Sylvester. He's he's getting jacked in on this thing. Well, and not only that, you know,
1: is he praying for patience like Deshaun apparently is. So he's getting in on that too. But I, you know, and and the way this whole Deshaun Watson thing is going, Robert, that really, I I think in some ways or in many ways is it's going to affect who the Texans should hire as their head coach. I mean, to me, if you do trade Deshaun, then in my mind, you've got to have a head coach in there that can develop a new quarterback as the Texans would probably, depending on what draft choices they get, they'd probably draft a quarterback, develop him. Then you probably want a coach that, that's familiar with that, you know, like a Jim Caldwell or an Eric V. But if you do sign or not sign, but work it out with Deshaun, where he's going to stay, then maybe you could get someone like a Leslie Frazier who can concentrate on the defense that has a lot of holes in it. So I, I don't know if that's really how it's going to play out, but it is certainly something to think about since, at the time we're recording this anyway, the Texans still have not hired a head coach yet.
0: Stephen, remember when Jimmy Carter brought together Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Israeli President Menachem Begum? We thought, oh, it's impossible to have peace in the Middle East. Well, maybe Sylvester Turner can bring Deshaun and Cal together. To a table somewhere we can have a summit you know or something like that maybe that's what Sylvester Turner's looking for
1: yeah a summit a mediation type of thing well yeah I do remember that Robert that was of course for our younger listeners uh, that was back in the 70s and that that was quite a feat in and of itself um, and the Texans working things out with the Sean I I that's going to be quite a it's going to be quite a hill to climb let's be honest because Obviously, the longer it drags on, the harder it's going to be to work it out. And in, in, in my mind, Cal McNair should have just jumped on this right from the beginning. But should we be surprised that he hasn't, just considering all the, the other leadership faux pas that he's had? No, can't really be surprised. But the longer this drags on, Robert, the worse it's going to be for everyone, including Texans fans. And the, the less confident I feel that it can be worked out. And it's probably going to end up like another James Harden situation. The only difference is I think the fans are going to be more, way more on the side of Deshaun <laughs> than they were on James Harden uh, right before and when he left.
0: How about nobody was on the, on the side of James Harden and everybody's on the side of Deshaun? Hey, do you feel like talking about Faith Healer Jack's new bestie, by the way?
1: No, not really. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm just, yeah, I, I don't know. That That's an interesting
0: situation in and of itself. But yeah, Jack Easterby, every time his name comes up and just go, not again. Well, you know who his new bestie is? It's it's Josh McCown. Hey, he's a, he's a coaching candidate. He's never coached in his life. He's been a backup quarterback and he's all of a sudden the head coaching candidate. And why? Because him and Jack Easterby, they're like uh, two peas in a pod. They love each other.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Josh McCown, I mean, everything I've heard about him personally is great. You know, I've heard he's a great teammate and he's, he's probably a prime candidate at some point for a head coaching position, but boy, you know, the the Texans are are certainly taking some more heat just for interviewing him. Now, if they're just interviewing him, you know, because other teams are interested in him and they want to see what he's made of, well, I guess that's okay, but yeah, to hire someone like Josh McCown in a situation where the Texans really need, I think, an experienced hand, even if it's someone who doesn't have head coaching experience, but has been an assistant for quite a while. That would make more sense than hiring someone like Josh McCown, who's still very closely
0: removed from playing ball. All right. We're going to tell you that we're recording this. Uh, You and I are talking at the moment. It's 1022 a.m. on Monday. So, Anything could happen by the time we finish this podcast, by the time it gets uploaded. But I'm not changing anything. Just so everybody knows, we're we're gonna make a prediction. I'm gonna make a prediction. Let me put it that way. Steven, this is what I think is gonna happen. Josh McCown, I don't think he's gonna get hired as the head coach. Now, it would be so Texans for them to hire Josh McCown as head coach, but I think the fact that he's in on this process means that they want him on the offensive side of the ball, potentially as either a coordinator or a quarterback coach and they want McCown and Tim Kelly, who they're also not letting other teams talk to right now, by the way. So that means they want to retain Tim Kelly. So if you're asking me what I think is going to happen, they're looking for those guys to handle the offensive side of the ball. And my prediction is that means Leslie Frazier is the new head coach of the Texans. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, that's the scenario that I'm looking at. But as I said, that's provided that the Texans keep Deshaun, you know, then, you know, I could see, here's the scenario I could see. Tim Kelly could be your offensive coordinator. That would appease Deshaun. Now he has become pretty close to Josh McCown. So what about having Josh McCown as your quarterback's coach, perhaps? And then you have Frazier as your head coach who can really put some effort into the defense and get some things done there. So that's a scenario I could easily see, Robert. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, even if you don't keep Deshaun, it, it, it's going to be more of a challenge, though. You know, yeah, Tim Kelly could still be your offensive coordinator. But, you know, Josh McCown working with a young quarterback? Yeah, maybe. But I could
0: see that more of a scenario if you keep Deshaun. The other thing is, I just don't think it's going to matter who the head coach is. The, the problem is with Cal McNair. So I, I don't know if that's reparable. Um, but I, I will say that the Texans are getting some pressure to hire a minority coach because basically outside of Robert Saleh, which was he was a semi-minority coach. Nobody's hired a minority coach. So that's why you kind of figure that they they wouldn't go with Josh McCown. It would look terrible with the league. And if Cal McNair has put pressure by anybody else in, in the NFL, like the, for instance, when they, they put the pressure uh, for trying to, Take away Casario, and he immediately back down. I I see Cal backing down on this and going, "Okay, we'll hire a minority." And we've you know we've interviewed three guys, so it's going to be one of these three. Guys. That's why I'm guessing Leslie is the guy. Now, I still would like to see Bienemy get the job because of his um offensive pedigree and everything like that. And I don't know if that's going to help Deshaun, but. You know, I think Bienemy at least might be able to talk to Sh- to Deshaun and get him to at least to discuss things, being that they're about the same age and the relationships that that Bienemy has had with Patrick Mahomes and and Deshaun's relationship with Patrick Mahomes. So that's what I think the right move would be to hire Bienemy, just because if you're going to go after Deshaun, but knowing the Texans, it'll be you know milk toast Leslie Frazier.
1: Wait, what did you say, Cal McNair backing down? Cal McNair never backs down. (laughs) No, that's... Well, he doesn't back down from Jack Easterby.
0: He doesn't back down from Jack Easterby.
1: Oh, that's true. He's the only one that seems to be able to... If if somebody of real significance and real, you know, value could tell Cal McNair not to back down, then we might have something. But, you know, of course, the thing with the enemy is that you can't hire him until the season is over. And for the Chiefs, that's not going to be until after the Super Bowl, one way or the other. So I guess it really depends how much in a hurry are the Texans to hire a head coach. And I just hope that they, you know, sure, you want to have a minority, you you know, but you also want to have the person who is best qualified for the job. And so I just hope the Texans will, they've got to get this right. They've got to hit a home run. So even if it takes a little more time for them to figure it out, then by golly, figure it out and get it right.
0: Yeah. I just feel like, it would be the so Texans just to let's wait, wait, wait. I, You know what? Actually, I have no problem with waiting to to hire the enemy because, I mean, it's it's the head coach. What is he going to do in the next two weeks? And, you know, the, the, this saga is going to continue no matter what. So it doesn't really matter. I don't think anything changes if you hire a Leslie Frazier tomorrow or a Jim Caldwell or something. I don't think that changes what, what's going on with Deshaun or anything like no, that. No, not at all. Let's go to the conference championship weekend, Stephen, uh, because God, I'm worn out by the Texan stuff, but you know, was it just me or did it seem like an ode to Texan style coaching over the weekend? Not sure if I was seeing an Anthony Weaver coverage package at the end of the first half by the Packers and then both, both losing coaches appeared to get out their Bill O'Brien abacus at the end of the games, the Packers kick a field goal down eight with two minutes left. And then the bills go for two with four minutes left when they're down 17, instead of, assuring they'd only be down two scores. I just, I, it was like, are these guys, are, are they got Bill O'Brien on the
1: headset right now? It's really sad, Robert, when the first person I think of, you know, when I when I see Matt LaFour make that decision to kick the field goal instead of going for it <laughs> to try to get a touchdown. Yeah, I know, you know, I, I heard his reasoning and it sounded just like Bill O'Brien would do. And he's the first person I thought of. Yeah, that's pretty sad when it comes to it. I, I just, you know, to me, I know you had three timeouts plus the two-minute warning, but you're really taking a chance when you've got, to me, when it gets to be two minutes in a game, you better really hope that your defense could come through, at least give it a shot. You know, kicking a field goal, I mean, it, it's just, it's so much of a chance either way. But now I, I have to agree with with most everybody else you got to at least go for it on fourth down. I mean, the fact that his explanation is, well, you had three straight incompletions, so it didn't look like we were going to score. Look, you have Aaron Rodgers. How many miraculous things has Aaron Rodgers done throughout his career toward the end of a game? I mean, you've got you've to trust your quarterback. It, it, when, when it's somebody like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or, you know, whomever the great quarterbacks we're talking about, you've got to trust your quarterback. And Matt LaFleur sh- uh, clearly did not put his trust in Aaron Rodgers. And it, it may not have cost them the game, but then it very well may have. You know, then you have the pass interference thing. And it was just all kinds of stuff. It, it's almost like the football gods were going to make sure that Tom Brady made it back to the Super Bowl without New England just to show he could.
0: <laughs> yeah, the big thing is they needed a touchdown no matter what. So if you don't score right there... You pin them back inside the 10, and you're closer to getting a touchdown if you then stop the Buccaneers. That's why it's the obvious play. You have to have a touchdown, and you either get a touchdown or you pin them way back. You're not going to pin them that far back on a kickoff.
1: Well, that's right, and and I'm sorry, but your your chances aren't any worse of getting a touchdown, then having to make the two-point conversion than they would be if you kicked a field goal and hope the defense could get you the ball back in enough time to come down and still, as you said, you know, you still have to score a touchdown. So I, I don't think that, I, I just don't understand his reasoning about it, 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 no matter which way I look at it.
0: Only Tom Brady could throw three interceptions in the second half of a conference championship game and somehow luck his way into the <laughs> title game, into the Super Bowl again. And, and you know, Patrick Mahomes was six years old when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. I'm waiting for the photo of Brady, or not Brady, I'm waiting for the photo of Mahomes at six Sitting in front of the TV as the confetti is coming down. <laughs> it just would be so funny to see that with like Brady in the background and Mahomes is six years old. You know, the first time, get this, Steven, the first time Tom Brady was in a Super Bowl, he faced Hall of Fame cornerback Aeneas Williams of the Rams. That's the St. Louis Rams, who are now in Los Angeles, of course. And Aeneas Williams. You know what? He's been retired for sixty years. He's 52 years old now. Wow. Does that make us feel old or what, Robert? I mean, this is,
1: you know, regardless of how they got there, the fact remains is they got there, and Tom Brady just has that it factor. You know, he can play poorly and still get your team to the Super Bowl. I mean, what what does that say about you as the greatest of all time? I mean, it's hard to argue, uh, but I I just think that, (laughs) you know, Patrick Mahomes— Here's a guy that was coming off concussion protocol, but it just goes to show you know, the kind of grit and determination that Patrick Mahomes has. And uh, he could very well replace Tom Brady at some point, he keeps playing and stays healthy and keeps putting up the numbers and winning Super Bowls. Then he could be w- very well be
0: the next goat as it were. Oh, I think Mahomes, if he stays healthy, he's going to be considered one of the greats. Now, Kenny pull a Tom Brady and go that Nobody pulls that. It's what he's doing is just ridiculous. Uh, You know, one of the other things I was noticing over the past week uh, regarding the NFL, Stephen, was lots of former Texans getting coaching jobs in the last week. Anthony Weaver is the defensive line coach for Urban Myers Jags. Aaron Glenn is the defensive coordinator for the Lions. And Dave Ragone, remember Dave Ragone? He's the OC for the Falcons now. How about
1: that? Yeah. Dave Ragon, the former quarterback that the Texans drafted that you never really heard from after that. Um, but, well, you know, we've talked about this before, Robert. It, it's not like the Texans, they, that everyone on their team has been a bad. Uh, you know, I think Aaron Glenn, that's an intriguing hire. He's He's got quite a personality and he, he was, you know, he was toward the end of his career when he played for the Texans. But he added a lot of leadership that the team needed in its first couple of years of existence so I'll be interested to see how Aaron Glenn does and Anthony Weaver, you know, maybe getting a second chance somewhere else where hopefully he's, he's going to be in a situation. Cause I think Anthony Weaver's a smart guy and it just didn't work out here. And he certainly didn't have the players to work with. So, you know, good for all the Texans. Maybe they're all in better situations than what the Texans are currently in. I don't think that's
0: too hard to figure out. Yeah. You said it about Aaron Glenn. Just a really good guy. He's a guy I'm going to root for. And, Somebody that really held together the Texans defense early on was it? Was it that Steelers game that he had three interceptions? Yeah, it was.
1: Then that was the one where the defense really won the game. And the Texans won that game, what was it, twenty four to six? I mean, they dominated, but it's not like they dominated on offense. It was Aaron Glenn who almost single handedly won that game for him. You're right. Yeah, single handedly. There was no almost. He he did
0: it. <laughs> uh, let me get to the Rockets because the Rockets general manager Rafael Stone. He makes a trade for the second week in a row. Not quite the splash of James Harden, but he took an interesting flyer on a guy with loads of talent, but lots of off-court issues. Stephen, do you know the Kevin Porter story? I do. You
1: know, of course, he's the the second-year guard for the Cavaliers, and they got him for a protected second-round pick. Um, you know, in, in his rookie season, he had 10 points a game, but he's had all kinds of off-court issues, had a, a run-in with the Cavs general manager. Yeah, you were saying he threw french fries at him. I, I saw that. Um, and he's had some other run-ins, I think, with the law. It's just, well, that's an interesting move. I mean, the, the Rockets certainly like to take flyers on players that are either coming back from injuries. I, I don't know. You know, I'm thinking of Ty Lawson, Robert, as the last player that the Rockets took a flyer on that had all kinds of off-court troubles, and that didn't work out. He He didn't even finish a full season with the Rockets, so... I, it, yeah, that the interesting situation, Kevin Porter Jr. Don't know how that's going to play out.
0: I think of Royce White. Royce White, yeah, that'd be another one too. This is not somebody in Royce White that maybe had some troubles with the law, or, or, or I don't know if there was as deep an issue. But there's there's some mental stuff I think going on with this kid, and you know he gets arrested after flipping his car over the off season, allegedly. Uh, You know, it was drinking earlier in the night. They found a firearm in the car. The charges um, had to do with all that and a small amount of marijuana. All the charges, though, were dropped. But two years ago, while at USC, he gets suspended for a few games, uh, contract detrimental to the team. You wish he had turned this into a real redemption story, because when he was four years old, if if people haven't read up on this, his father was killed while trying to help someone being attacked, uh, just being heroic, and Porter Jr., Uh, himself named after his dad. That's where the junior comes from. Kevin Porter was his dad. He tried to follow his dad's path, who was also a tremendous athlete. And you said it, Stephen, the Rockets, basically, you know, it's worth the flyer. You give up nothing for the guy. Um, You know, he's got some personal issues. You got John Lucas. Maybe you can get him turned around. Could have been a really high pick in the first round if it wasn't for the issues that he had. And that was just a year and a half ago.
1: Yeah, he was very highly touted coming out of USC. And then, of course, you know, this year he hasn't played at all because of the off-court issues and the run-ins with the general manager. And, you know, in the in the season, short season so far, he hasn't played a game. But, you know, a protected second-round pick, it's not like the Rockets are giving up a lot for him.
0: So we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But it is an intriguing move, I had to say. Then uh, another intriguing move that they made over the offseason is... Pan off a little bit, at least it did for a game, anyway. Uh, for most of the season, I've just been killing Boogie Cousins. Steven, I don't know if you noticed me on Twitter just killing Boogie Cousins. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people
1: were. I mean, yeah, he's coming back from not one but two injuries. But, you know, he had some of the attitude issues that got him ejected for a couple of games. And just hadn't played well. But the other night, he had, what, 28 points, 17 rebounds. And, you you know, it, it it would not be a bad thing, Robert, if DeMarcus Cousins... And the Rockets both have a resurgence at the same time. Because I think they both need to feed off each other. The Rockets certainly need to get it together if they're going to have any chance of making the playoffs in a tough Western Conference. And DeMarcus Cousins really needs to get it together. You know, especially with with Christian Wood being
0: out. Man, they need him to come through. He certainly did the other night. Yeah, two scenarios really ran through my mind when I was watching Boogie early in the season. Either his injuries had permanently doomed him in his athleticism or because he's a big guy and hasn't played much the last couple of years, it'd take him a while to get going. I mean, I, I see this all the time in the NBA. Big guys, for some reason, it takes them a while to get going. As the season goes along, you see them getting better and better. I mean, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, I mean, that's other story. They're you know on an, on another level at this point and in their prime, but for a lot of big guys, that's the case. If I'm watching Boogie and being honest with myself, even with the Mavs game, I would say I'm still on the side that he's his athleticism isn't there, but if you're the Rockets, you're not banking on him to be a starter or somebody that you know necessarily has to give you 25 great minutes every night. But if he could do this every now and then, Steven, he just doesn't have to do that every single game, but... Give us one of these games every night. Now- I mean, 28 points and 17, bo- five assists, too, in 30 minutes. Yeah, that's that's
1: definitely great. And, yeah, if you could just give him a few minutes as a quality backup at center, oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, and and I'm pulling for DeMarcus Cousins, if for no other reason, because if he does well, then the Rockets probably will continue to do well also. Uh, you know, his character issues, certainly we, we know all about those. But you, you pull for him because it's bound to help the Rockets – all the way through and especially having quality depth at the big man
0: position. Also good to see Eric Gordon get his three point shot going in that Mavs game. I don't know if that's going to be a one-off, but man, it would be nice to have him shooting the ball again. I mean, I just, I I don't understand what's been going on with him. I, I know he's had some knee issues, but he looks healthy the way he's exploded to the basket. He gets an occasional dunk this year. I mean, it's just, you're seeing a guy that I, I would think, Uh, Should be okay from three-point range, and you just can't get it done. You know, the other thing, uh, Stephen, as I was looking, the Rockets, you know, they barely beat a Pistons team, granted, a bad one. Then they dominated an injury-riddled Mavs team, so not signature wins for them, but as bad as the Rockets have looked most of the season, they're just two games behind the sixth seed in the West. Here's the upcoming schedule, by the way. Stephen, just to play it out a little bit, you know, they've got the Wizards coming up next, who are terrible, the Blazers, who started to get it together, but you know their defense is also uh, very iffy. And then you've got the underachieving Pelicans, who I, I don't know what's going on with them, but they can't get their defense going either. So two bad defenses coming up. Then two games with a pesky but not talented Thunder team. It looks like they might even have a full roster as soon as tomorrow. Finally, you know, knock on the kid. Is there some? You got some wood to knock on over there, Steve? Yeah, let
1: me go ahead and yeah, on on the desk here is wood. So. Yeah, well, first of all, you've got to take confidence anywhere you can find it. Especially when you're as down as the Rockets have been, you know, you beat a bad Pistons team on, you know, thank goodness for video replay or that wouldn't have happened. And then yeah, the Mavericks where well, they have five players out just like the Rockets are, you know, but the Rockets have been shorthanded pretty much all season. So, you got to take them where you can find them. And the Rockets need that and you know, both those wins were on the road, they were on back to back so hey, whatever it needs to get you started, that's what the Rockets need to do. So I- I'm I'm happy with that. Just just
0: take the wins any way you can get them because they'll add up, especially as the season goes along. Also, look at what happens when they do get healthy. They're deep, Stephen. I mean, I you could say, oh well, you know, this is not a great team, or I, you know, they got some All Stars uh, if if they're healthy and John Wall and o- Oladipo, maybe Christian Woods an All Star pretty soon, but also. Look what's going on. You got Wood, Wall, Oladipo, Tate, Tucker, Gordon, Boogie, Daniel House, if he ever comes back. You know, he's considered a starter. I I, I wouldn't think he necessarily loses his job, although Jayshon Tate's going to make it interesting for him. But look, that's your front eight. You got four guys that you've got after that that are legitimately rotation-looking guys. And Nawaba, who's playing really well, Macklemore, who's one of your best three-point shooters. Sterling Brown, who's been fantastic from three and defensively. And then there's Mason Jones, who we talked about him last week. He's shooting 58% from three right now.
1: Yeah, I want to see more from Mason Jones. Absolutely. I I just love the looks of him. And, you know, you talk about all those players, Robert. I think what they need is just to be in the lineup consistently, you know, because the more you're in, the, the more you're playing together, I just think that this Rockets team, it, I, I don't think that they're as bad as, you know, their record indicates. They're hustling. They bring the energy. They're they are just not getting the wins. And yes, I know that's what really counts, you know, it's, it's what's on the scoreboard as to whether you're going to make the playoffs or, or go deep into the playoffs. But I really think that that's what these guys need. They just need to get healthy. They need to stay in the lineup consistently over the course of this season, which is going to be, you know, its it's strange already as it is. And I think that I I just see so much upside for this Rockets team that unlike the Texans, you know, early on in the season, I think we were ready to give up on them.
0: And with good reason, I'm not ready to give up on this rocket squad just yet. And they're likable guys with great stories like Tate and Nawaba and Mason Jones. We've talked about, I mean, you just got a lot of guys that are good stories, comeback stories and John Wall and Oladipo and Boogie Cousins. So It's a fun team, and Christian Wood. How can I forget him? And he's going to be back soon, too, uh, from what we understand. Um, Stephen, if you missed our podcast Friday, I don't know if you got a chance to hear that one, but I spoke to our favorite baseball historian, Greg Lucas, about the legacy of Hank Aaron and Don Sutton. Greg also had thoughts on the loss of George Springer, the return of Jason Castro. And, you know, Stephen, you couldn't join us, so I'd love to get your reaction on some of this stuff. Like, let's start with... Hank Aaron, and I'll lead you in with this, courtesy of journalist Ralph Wiley. This is incredible here. Uh, Hank Aaron had more home runs than Babe Ruth, drove in more runs than Lou Gehrig, scored more runs than Willie Mays, and had over 12 more miles in total bases than the runner-up Stan Musial. Except for home runs, he's still the leader in all those categories.
1: Well, it's definitely not surprising. And I just, I mean, I admired Hank Aaron as a kid. I think I was in sixth grade when he broke the record. But, you know, my, my mom lived in Atlanta when I was living in Houston, and I would go up to visit her, and it was about the time that that Hank was chasing the record. And and that's when I remember hearing just all the, the bad things that people were saying about Hank Aaron. I mean, what a lot of people may not realize is, you know, the, social media wasn't around back then. But that record got a lot of publicity and that, you know, as, as much of all the death threats that Hank received and all the threats of, you know, against his family, kidnapping his children and things of that nature. You know, the, the poor guy couldn't even really enjoy the moment once he did accomplish it. I mean, he did, I guess, to an extent, but I think it was more of a relief that it actually got it over with than the fact that he could just really enjoy it. For the moment and for what it was. And I just always admired Hank and just felt how underappreciated he was. I think even after he broke the record, but certainly while he was chasing the record, I just can't imagine the pressure that that he was under. But I, I think he, you know, he's finally over the years gotten the respect that he was
0: due long before it. Greg talked a little bit about the consistency that he had over the years. And I just want to illustrate that with some numbers here. He hit 20 or more home runs in a season, 20 times the most of any player in history. He also hit at least 24 home runs every single season from age 21 to age 39, a streak of 19 consecutive years. No other player in history has done it for more than 15 straight years. Although this might stun Astros fans, Stephen, Carlos Lee is tied for fifth in history with 11 straight seasons of 24 home runs or more. How about that? <laughs> hey, there's a stat out of the
1: blue. That's for sure. Yeah. He, his name definitely wouldn't be coming up on most fans tongues when you're talking about that list, but yeah, you, you have to do that. I mean, in order to, to hit as many, you know, he broke the record, but he hit, you know, what, 40-plus more home runs after that. I mean, he ended with 755. So it's not like he had one or two more home runs and then retired. He was 40 when he broke the record. So he continued to play even after that and still hit more home runs. So, yeah, I I mean, those are figures that you don't hear about very often. But certainly if you're going to break that kind of a record and you you have to play as long as Hank Aaron did and hit that many home runs for that many years – but it's still just, that makes it as much a remarkable accomplishment to me as anything else.
0: You mentioned the racial aspect when he was going for the home run title in 1974. And, you know, Greg mentioned the fact that, you know, when I brought up Vin Skelly's call, and, you know, just that great part at the end, and you can hear the call at the end of the Greg Lucas podcast. I play the entire call with Vin Skelly, where he talks about, you know, at the end saying there's a black man that is getting a standing ovation in the South. And Greg said, well, I don't like to get that stuff in on a baseball moment or whatever, but you know, the home run call itself when you listen to it is not that, but he lets the crowd build. And I think it's so important that he says that right there, because that was a part of the moment. That's what, you know, you're a journalist as a broadcaster, Stephen, and you know this well, And it's worth something saying like, you know, it's worth to say something like that because it was remarkable. It's remarkable now with what's going on with race in America, when you have a guy like like a Hank Aaron that's being talked about and what he had to go through. And then you remember that this was 1974. We were just years away, you know, years past the Martin Luther King's assassination and you know, just a few years, a blip in time, and and here it is. You know, a a, a crowd in Atlanta is standing and cheering for Hank Aaron. I, I I think it was a a great call, and and I think it was important for Vince Kelly to note it at that moment.
1: Well, first of all, I, I love Greg Lucas. I have all the the admiration and respect for him in the world. I've followed him for years, and and I know you do too, Robert. But yeah, I have to disagree with him on that point. And, and it's not – I always go back to the people like Vin Scully you know, and Harry Callis and, and – well, you just name any announcer who's great at what they do. It isn't always what they say as much as how they say it. If anyone else had said that statement, it might not have resonated the same way that someone like Vin Scully said it. So it's not only that I think it was very appropriate that Vin said it, but it's just the, the way he delivered it. I think had as much impact as on what he said. So I absolutely agree. It had to be said. Yeah. It, what was it? Six years removed from Martin Luther King's assassination, and you're talking about the Deep South when you're talking Georgia, and just all the problems associated with the civil rights movement there. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I didn't have any problem with that statement. And you know, then Scully's call, at, at least in my mind, kind of has taken a back seat for so many years. To, if we want to put a Houston tie into this, you know, the call that you hear most, I think, or at least I do, of that home run is Milo Hamilton's call when he was with the Braves. You know, and, and Milo's call was great. Don't get me wrong, it's very exciting. But Vin Scully's call, you know, it seems like it took a back seat. And, and I think it should be more at the forefront just based on what you said, Robert, is what he said, how he let the moment and, and the crowd build. So, yeah, that's a call that I think needs
0: to be brought up more often when you're talking about that record-breaking home run. Yeah, you'll hear Milo's call on the last podcast as well. Again, if you haven't, go and check it out. You know, I'm I'm too young to have any vivid memories of Don Sutton, the former Astro who passed away in the past few days, you know, when he was in his prime in the 1970s. But I'm sure you remember more than I do, Stephen. Greg Lucas might have underplayed his prime a little bit because he just called him, oh, he's a good... Solid pitcher, but he had a seven-year span where he was a Cy Young candidate or All-Star nearly every season. His ERA was 2.76, 19 seasons. No, I'm sorry, in 19 of his seasons, I should say, he pitched at least 200 innings. In his 23 seasons, he averaged, averaged over 230 innings. So the consistency that we just talked about with Hank Aaron, you talk about it, too, with somebody like Don Sutton. And, Stephen, here's the final number that I'll give you that's remarkable, and we got a Houston tie here. The only pitchers to start more games than Don Sutton, Cy Young, and Nolan Ryan. Well, there's good company right there. And you know that every
1: great team, I guess, has one forgotten player or, you know, one player that you just, you you should mention him more than you do. And I guess you'd have to put Don Sutton in that category. He's kind of the, the forgotten Dodger when you start throwing in all the other great pitchers of the Dodgers, but he was no less a contributor to the greatness of those Dodgers teams in the 70s. And I do have a memory of Don Sutton, Robert, and I wish I could remember, I, I want to say it was either 73 or 74. I do remember one game that the Astros were playing the Dodgers and it was the ninth inning and the Dodgers were leading two to nothing. Don Sutton was pitching a shutout and the Astros come to bat in the ninth inning and they hit two straight home runs off Sutton to tie the game and Don Sutton just goes ballistic on the mound. I mean, just, I mean, and can you blame him? <laughs> he had he had a shutout going. Now, the Dodgers eventually won the game in extra innings. But I just, I, I remember you know, what a competitor Don Sutton was. And so many people forget. Now, even I have to be reminded, Robert, as a longtime Astros fan, he did pitch for the Astros a, a couple of times, you know, a couple of years in the early 80s. That A lot of people forget that. Of course, it was toward the end of Don's career, but, you know, he he even came to the Astros, pitched a couple of seasons for them. But, yeah, what a career and a a guy whose numbers really, you know, they may not be lauded as much as, say, a, a Sandy Koufax or, you know, even Claude Osteen had some great years with the Dodgers, and he pitched for the Astros too for a year or two. So, yeah, what a great pitcher Don Sutton was. And, you know, despite that memory I have of him, Certainly many, many great years and a lot
0: of wins. Do you remember who the Astros got back when they traded Don Sutton to the Brewers after those two years in Houston? And I'm going to give you a hint here because I know these are always tough for you, Stephen. They got three players in the deal. One of them has been a guest on the podcast. That's your big hint. Um, well, you've had so many great Astros on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank right now. Mike Madden, which I wouldn't expect you to remember. Frank Depino, Okay. Who was good. Yeah, he was good. Frank was good. And according to baseball reference, all of these three players that I'm mentioning were players to be named later. And the last guy, the player to be named later, Kevin Bass.
1: Oh, Kevin Bass. Well, yeah, he was named later all right. Had a big name later when he was with the Astros. So yeah, that is right. Frank Depino and Kevin Bass. Uh certainly contributed. Mike Mike Madden, I, I remember the name, you know, he wasn't like a, a huge contributor, but certainly Depino coming out of the bullpen and Kevin Bass, the outfielder, just did great things for the Astros. Yeah, DePino, I
0: believe, was dealt the eighty six year where they go to the NLCS. Yes, Kevin Bass, of course, was massive in that. Yeah, he was part of that eighty six team for sure. George Springer, let's go to him because we talk about guys that we lost, but this guy we lost to Toronto, not to heaven. And the guy is uh, pretty darn good. I I touched on the Astros moves with Greg Springer being out, Brantley back, Castro, the Astro has returned. Did you save your Castro jersey, Stephen? Yeah, if I had one, I certainly,
1: I should have saved it because yeah, you said reunited and it feels so good. First of all, getting to Springer, I, yeah, I had to admit, I kept hoping he would go to the Mets, you know, that all those reports were going to work out because then you wouldn't have to, to face him so much. He's going to be with the Blue Jays, so the Astros are going to be facing him numerous times this year. Gosh, George Springer and Garrett Cole gonna we'll be facing them a lot. If you're an Astros fan, you're going to have to get used to that. I mean, it, it really, Robert, the scenario played out pretty much the way that I thought it would, and it, and it could have been a lot worse. I figured, you know, Springer was a goner from the day the season ended for the Astros. But I decided, you know, look, if, if we're going to at least, if we could just get one of those two guys back, if it's not going to be Springer, then at least let's get Brantley back because that, that really changes the picture of how the Astros outfield looks. That's one less position you have to worry about. You know, now the big task is replacing Springer in center. And, and let's let's face it, you're not going to replace him. You're certainly not going to replace him with what you have on the roster I mean I wonder at this point it it does look, unless they make another move that we don't know about, like a Jackie Bradley Jr. Or, or someone like that, that the Astros are gonna go with Miles Straw in center field. And that doesn't give you a lot of confidence, but you think about when when you look at you know where James Click came from and the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer, he's not a great hitter either, but he's developed into quite a center fielder for the Rays. So I guess if you're gonna look for a model that's you know, somewhere close to that, maybe that's what the Astros are thinking. But right now, it's going to be a gaping hole in center field until somebody can step up and at least make it halfway respectable with Springer being
0: gone. I'm going to disagree with you on one thing with Springer. I didn't want to see him go to the Mets because I don't like the Mets. I hate the Mets. Well, I don't like the Mets either, but at least he's in the National League. <laughs> that's
1: what was my thinking.
0: Well, yeah, and the other thing with him being with the Blue Jays is they're quickly becoming – Houston's Canadian team because they've got Craig Biggio's son. They've got Yuli Gurriel's brother. I feel some sort of connection with them a little bit. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know. So can we call them the, the Astros of the border? Like we call the Texans Patriots
1: South, you know, maybe the, yeah, the Canadian Astros or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Or I'm trying to think of what we could call them, but they would be, uh, Texas's team now, maybe in, in Canada. I don't know. <laughs> All right, that that works. Yeah, I mean they're easy to cheer for, but
1: let's face it: if you're an Astros fan, you don't want to face a, a George Springer on that many occasions, and you don't want to face Garrett Cole on so many occasions. So <laughs> that was that was really my thinking. No, I'm not a Mets or a Yankees fan either. I, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely glad he didn't
0: go to the Yankees. Can you imagine that? Oh, uh, no, no, that's just I get the chills. Not when you a good say thing. Yeah, uh, let, me, let me ask you. With Brantley, like I said, my one big concern with signing Brantley, and you know, having Brantley is great, and and I love Brantley, and I'm not. It's not against Brantley, but it's just my one big concern is: would the money have been better spent with an outfielder that can play more than left field, and somebody that could also be consistently healthy? Because Brantley gets hurt occasionally. You got to DH him some. And with a team like the Astros that has Jordan, who's injury prone and can't play other outfield positions besides left field, you're very limited with Michael Brantley. And the good news is with Brantley, you're going to get somebody that's just going to hit and everybody loves, and he's a great teammate and all that sort of stuff. But the bad news is there's sort of this log jam of two guys that might miss games could be out. And they only play left field for now. I mean, they're going to like, you know, Greg Lucas pointed out, hey, Jordan, they're working at first and they're hoping that he can play first if he can stay on the field at all with those knees. But, you know, that's my concern with with the Brantley move.
1: Yeah. And that's duly noted that, that's I, I can certainly understand your concern and I, w- I would have those same concerns. But at least with Brantley, you know what you're getting when he's in the lineup. I mean, the Astros, if, if anything else, especially, you know, as much as they're going to miss Springer's bat. Springer just had these long stretches where you just wondered, you know, you knew he was going to break out of it. It was a question of when, not if, but with Brantley, just such a consistent hitter. But, you know, the biggest question mark, you know, he is in his 30s and he has had some injury history and he's not the most versatile outfielder. You know, he certainly isn't going to play center field for you. So the worst case scenario that could happen is Brantley gets injured, is out for a long period. Jordan isn't as healthy as we hoped he would be or he'll he'll miss a lot of time or he just isn't ready to play either of the corner outfield positions you're going to have to DH him. Those are your big concerns and maybe the Astros could have moved in a different direction but I I just I like the consistency of Brantley's bat being in the lineup you know above and beyond anything else and you know the, everything else is a crapshoot
0: especially if you're going to have a 162 game season this year. Unfortunately, we've got one more Houston sports passing this past week. It's just like it's just been way too many these days. But we lost former Houston Oilers linebacker Ted Thompson. He'll be remembered mostly for his years building the Packers. I'm sure that's what a lot of you heard about with him as both the director of personnel, player personnel guy, and a GM. He won two Super Bowl rings with the Packers organization. But Steven, you and I, we associate him with Love You Blue. He spent his entire ten years as a Houston Oiler. You know, what a lot of people forget, Robert,
1: is Ted Thompson came out the same year that the Oilers drafted Robert Brazil, their first round pick in 1975. Yeah, nobody even knew who Ted Thompson was. Of course, he was out of SMU, so, you know, a Texas guy, but he wasn't even drafted. He was, he was an undrafted free agent. He came in and did such a great job, you know, and a lot of people talk about him as a linebacker, but he was the captain of the Oilers special teams, and and I seem to remember even occasionally he was your backup place kicker. Like if the place kicker got hurt, Ted Thompson was the guy you would turn to to make a kick every once in a while when he had to. So just a, an all around great guy, but a very versatile player. And yeah, he was a court, you know he certainly did a lot for the Love You Blue era during the the mid to late seventies. But just what a great story, you know that Ted Thompson wasn't even drafted. He signed with the Oilers in 75, and he, Robert Brazil, and all those guys on the defense, you know, took the team to where it ended up being, you know, through the late 70s. And then, of course, as you mentioned, his time as a director of player personnel, you know, and then a general manager, even better than what his playing career was. So and just another big loss. We, I'm starting to lose track, Robert, of, of all the greats we're losing in sports over the last few
0: months. Unfortunately, it's been a lot of names. Yeah, it's been unreal. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go back to something you talked about, which is he was a kicker uh, as an emergency kicker for the Oilers. In 1980, he nailed four extra points against the Jets. He finished his career a perfect four for four. So that's pretty good. At SMU, he was their kicker. He was their place kicker and a linebacker. Starting linebacker, such a versatile guy for the, the Mustangs back then. Did you know Ted Thompson, or do you know who Ted Thompson's first draft pick was when he became the general manager of the Packers, Steven?
1: Uh, it was Aaron Rodgers, wasn't it?
0: Yes, it was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it was Aaron Rodgers. He also drafted Clay Matthews, Devontae Adams, all-pro tackle David Bakhtiari, who the Packers badly missed on Sunday, if you saw their pass coverage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greg Jennings, uh, and... And... Ten years ago, he drafted one Randall Cobb.
1: How about that? Well, see, there's another Houston tie-in, just indirect, though it may be. Yeah, he certainly had an eye for talent. And as we said, he was a smart player, a great guy. There's just so many people that spoke so highly of him as a person. And, you know, the the ironic thing about Aaron Rodgers, this is going to be something to keep an eye on. You kind of wonder after that call, over the weekend, is Aaron Rodgers even going to want to remain with the Packers? You know, is there going to be a quarterback controversy in Green Bay, the likes of which the Texans have right now with Deshaun Watson? Can you use a
0: Deshaun Watson in, in Green Bay if we <laughs> we can have to hmm. if we're going to have to trade Deshaun? There we go. Now you got something there, Stephen. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering,
1: just something to keep an eye on. You just, I mean, the way things have been playing out, Robert, I don't think anything's
0: out of the question at this moment. Yeah, they got their kid that they're all excited about. But I think if you said, hey, here's Deshaun Watson, and we'll, we'll we'll take Aaron Rodgers, and yeah, you might as well just give us that young guy that you've been hiding on the bench. We'll take him too. We might as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're giving you Deshaun, we're giving you several years of Deshaun Watson. So there you go. Let me ask you, Stephen, uh, other big Houston, uh, news, a little bit of Houston news over the weekend. What did you see? Well, I did see that the uh, Houston Sports
1: Hall of Fame Inductees for 2021 were announced, and Robert, I don't know if you've heard of any of these names. You you might have to kind of scratch your head and uh, you know expand your brain cells a bit. Let me let me just throw some of these names at you. You tell me if you've heard any one of them. Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, and Andre Johnson are the three main inductees. I mean, I say main just you know there there are a couple of others that I think you've heard of. Bill Yeoman and Guy V. Lewis. Those are your five inductees that will be uh, honored in the uh, Houston Sports Awards. Uh, Of course, Guy Lewis and Bill Yeoman will be inducted posthumously. But the uh, Houston Sports Awards are going to be, well, okay, I'm going to say are scheduled, subject to change with COVID-19, of course, for April 26th. And I don't know if you know where this is, Robert, because I haven't lived in Houston for a long time. The Carlton Woods Creekside Fazio Golf Course apparently is where they're going to have the ceremony. of course they didn't have it this past year because of COVID. So hopefully they can have it this year and get all those inductees very well-deserved
0: enshrined. Yeah. Where's the, where's the hall of fame? Where can I go see the plaques and everything? Is there anywhere I get that? (laughs) Yeah, that's probably, uh, you know,
1: I guess they have it enshrined somewhere in the Houston sports authority, but isn't it uh, Patty Smith? Isn't she the one that heads that up? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. The TV person. Yeah
0: yeah, be nice if they had the award show. I don't know how they're going to do that this year. Um, It's going to be tricky. And also you got to keep in mind that somebody that always shows up to that event is Cal McNair. Is he going to want to show up to that event this year? (laughs) That's going to be fun to see. Or what is the reception going to be at the awards this year? If they announce that he's there,
1: you know, is he, is he going to be booed more than just about anybody in Houston history? (laughs) That's
0: that, that will be something to watch too. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Well, We'll see, we'll see what happens with Deshaun in the next few months. That might tell us the story there. That'll degree. determine a lot. Yeah, by April.
1: So it's April 26th is when the awards are scheduled to be, so we'll keep an eye on that.
0: Well, hopefully when, next time we do this, there's not going to be the Houston passings, but we've had a lot of them recently. A lot of, a lot of Houston greats have, have left us. And also, just go back and check out some of uh, the, the shows last week because um, good stuff from Robert Falkoff on Charlie Thomas. Um, and also on uh, Hank Aaron and Don Sutton, of course, with Greg Lucas. And we, we talked some other Astros stuff as well. So uh, if you're an Astros fan at all, you're going to want to listen back to that. Um, it's real short, too. It shouldn't take you that long to get through. It's less than 30 minutes. So hope you enjoy it. Uh, just also uh, let us know what you think. Twitter, Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. <laughs>